Jack Daw and Baghead are making his experience Samsara, and the underdogs are legitimately wearing the colour purple. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven day guide to everything movies. Oh. Hello and welcome back to the show then. We have got a jam-packed show, loads of movies to look at that Van has already seen, of course, as usual. And we're going to start with Samsara. Um, So this, all I know, this is to do with teenage monks. That's about as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. This this was this was a hard start. I was obviously most of this week's I was watching at home on links and award screens and things. And uh, you know, usually it's a weeknight. Your mates have got nothing to do, so you sort of offer. Like, hey, I've got one to watch this tonight if you want to join me. And this one was a hard sell. Nobody nobody wanted me on this one. So this is a Spanish made <laughs> movie, Spanish made documentary, um, basically following a a tribe of I think they are. Uh, it's uh, from from Laos, Cambodia, the Cambodian teenage monks, uh, as you point out, just partly exploring their lives, their day to day lives, and what it is that got them into, you know, got, got them into the practice, but also um, a taking in the ambience around them. It's an art film as much as it is this documentary, and it's um, Loe Patino, I think his, his his name is, who has done this kind of thing before. Uses uh, very antiquated styles of filming and stitching these things together, and what he's done here. And go with me on this one, Adam, because it's going to sound nuts. He has made the first art, first piece of art house cinema that you watch with your eyes closed. And isn't that just a podcast? <laughs> that is this, isn't it? it, it in theory, <laughs> it is a podcast. No, but it is actually properly baked into the text comes up on screen, tells you that what you're about to go through is a sensory experience uh, it, it's you know it's not designed to be visually taken it's about the ambience it's about drinking it in now say even i mean complete with that like 15 minute sensory audio auditory experience it's, it's a pretty terrific art piece and the little bits you get with the uh, the monks themselves chatting and just interview very verite held back very you know over the shoulder kind of thing for the distance that's all actually quite interesting uh, there's this really immersing use of color and transition through i by right i'm not an art critic just fyi you know me. I'm, I'm not someone that goes to a lot of art exhibits. Come on. I know. Yeah, come on. I'm more the TGI Fridays guy here. But, uh, but you know, I mean, there's, there's an interesting use of like color and transition and how one can beget the other and aid and, and, and basically make seamless seamless cuts through one another. I thought that was really effectively explored. Um, it's not for everyone, obviously. It's it, This is not like a Saturday night crowd pleaser, as I, as I want to say. Um but as an art piece, and listen, sort of meditatory, med- mediatory. What do you call it? Like, you know, me- meditation, med- meditatory. Yeah. I think it's yeah. sort of meditatory experience. Uh, it's not sort of just a mediation on religious discipline. It's second to none. I can't think of another movie that does it quite this well. But it's a short list. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just thinking, what did they do at the premiere? Did they let you watch it with your feet being massaged, with someone fanning you? You know, to give you that extra sensual kind of feeling while you're watching it. Do you know that that would be that would be a treat, wouldn't it? That'd be the thing. That'd be the thing. You want. <laughs> so this is just something to just let wash over you, I suppose, and, and enjoy the experience rather than have too much in your mind as to what to expect. I think very much that. Yes, I think I think very much that, and uh, and and yeah, an experience rather than a film. Like, don't go into this. There's no, no real narrative to it, so to speak. But it is just a sort of mediation on religious disciplines as well. Okay, well, uh, that's out in cinemas from today, Samsara, if you want to make the experience and, and, and drink it in yourself. Um, let's move on to our next movie then, Jackdaw. So this, I think, this is about 
motocross, isn't it? Uh, it is and it isn't. Okay, so... Okay. Um, right. I'm just trying to look up the name of the director. It's written and directed by Jamie Childs. Okay, he's, he's I think, an Irish set uh, action thriller about a former motocross champion, played by Oliver Jackson Cohen, who I think Daryl Morris pointed out to me a couple of years ago during a review of The Invisible Man, the, the Blumhouse Invisible Man. Uh, I think he pointed out that Oliver Jackson Cohen was from Hollyoaks, and was therefore after my time. But Daryl still watches Hollyoaks, bless him. I mean... He's hanging in there like a trooper. Uh, you know Daryl as well, I think. And uh, yeah. so this this stars him. He, he's a, he's the former motocross champion who has come out of serving time, has stashed loot away from the big bad he was serving, has some sort of betrayal with prior to having gone inside, and uh, finds himself under the gun when his younger disabled brother is then kidnapped. And the movie basically just wants to be drive. Um, I've got a clip for you. Have a listen. This very much is the kind of tone they're aiming for, but don't necessarily achieve. Salas offered me money to do with pick up. Do that for me, and I'll leave something nice for you and your little brother. And Jack, let's just leave our old baggage at the door. There's no money here, Salas, you snake. I'm keeping it until you give me the money. Maybe he should have just done as he was told and left my property where he's supposed to. I think you should put it back. It's not that easy. He's taken my brother. I mean, it it sounds great as far as the trailer goes. Um, Obviously, you don't think it's up to scratch. Um, this week, I mean, this week, I think it's this week or this month, uh, marks the 20th anniversary of the release of the movie Talk. Did you ever see Talk? T-O-R-Q-U-E? No, no. This was designed to be the motorcycle answer to the Fast and Furious, and it was one of the most idiotic things anyone ever done uh, with motorcycles in movies. Um, and then you then you see something like this, um, which is somehow hysterically poor, even by comparison to Talk, a movie that ends with the triumphant closing track of Sunday by Nickelback. Um, so you know, make of that what you will. Um, in that way, that y- your son is is five now. Is he your son, Albert? He is. Yeah, yeah, five. He, he yeah. Is. So I don't know if he's anything like my nephew's about the same age. My nephew's gotten to this this phase, and I think all parents of uh, or parents or anyone with a kid in their life has experienced that moment in which uh, they discover jokes for the first time, and you you start telling like the dad jokes, and they start trying to tell them back. And even though they know the rhythm of how a joke is supposed to work, they're just making up nonsense, and it's not actually funny. And you sort of have to oh, play yes. along. This is that, but to the movie Drive, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it misses the shot every time. It absolutely misses the shot. I would describe the aesthetic of this as <sighs> grimy, but with a sort of video game marketing level of artificial lens flare. You know, like the level you only see when they're marketing the new Xbox game or whatever it is. Um, the score early on, which tries to really be the sort of energy, the heart and soul of this, uh, is really, especially in the sort of early chase sequence, which you could sort of hear a bit of it in that, that, that clip that we played, that, that romping tone there. Um, that's meant to, I think, to sort of evoke the vigour and the pulse of sort of late 90s Brit cinema thrillers. Um, but it, it sort of fails to realise at any point that it lacks any of the energy or the pacing or the engagement to justify that tempo, if you know what I mean. Um, I can see what the style is meant to be, but it, it just 
doesn't quite get there, both visually and on the page. It, it kind of lacks definition. I mean, like someone turned the definition dial down on the visual. It's it's quite insane at times. There's no charisma in your lead, and uh, as far as the acting front goes, the, the thing I'll say is at least they had the the you know the common public service and decency to shoot Jenna Coleman and every scene that Jenna Coleman is in in the only way that you should shoot a scene with Jenna Coleman in, which is as sexily as possible. Um, there's nothing engaging enough here to warrant anybody's time. It's it's like a showpiece for a, for, for an up and coming filmmaker, but I do mean like a fresh out of uni kind of filmmaker. There's nothing to call this on. You would you would be bored of this if you came across across it on streaming or on Sky Cinema, and it does feel like a movie that will be on Sky Cinema in about a, a month tops. There hasn't been a massive amount of promo for this movie because I haven't really seen much about. To be fair, so do you think maybe they're not too confident in it themselves? I mean, it's just not one of the biggies this week, to be honest. It's worth noting, there is one biggie we are not going to get to cover this week, which is All of Us Strangers. Uh, but there are two like sort of awards-caliber biggies, even though they've both been snubbed. Awards-caliber biggies out this week, and this is quite a cheap and cheerful sort of British-Irish kind of production. It's not really got any major stars to it. Its biggest name is Jenna Coleman. And is she really a known commodity outside of Doctor Who? And, you know, obviously delinquent men in their 30s and 40s, like ourselves. You know. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> a delinquent charity, of course. <laughs> well, um, if you want to go and see it, you can, because Jack Daw is in cinemas from today. Uh, right, next then, The Colour Purple, we shall be looking at. Van's already seen it, and we'll see what he thought about it next. Stay right where you are. Hello and welcome back to the show. Right, we've still got three movies to talk about and we're going to start now with The Colour Purple. So I can be honest about this. I have seen zero about this online. I've seen nothing. I know nothing. So sell it to me, Van, if you want to, of course. I will be really honest. I'm shocked that you know nothing about this and there isn't marketing everywhere for it because I genuinely would have thought sight unseen, you know, a year ago, when we were sort of predicting what was going to come out, when, and what was going to be the potential, what could be the potential awards winners and nominees and things like that, I would have thought that an adaptation, a film adaptation of the stage musical adaptation of The Colour Purple in 2023-24 would have been the biggest game in town. It would have been like sweeping the Academy with 14 nominations and all this. Thing. Um, and yeah, it's quite a quiet release. And also, we've now had the Oscar nominations this, this past week, and it's been near completely snubbed. So I'm, I'm yeah. quite surprised by that. So most people know of The Colour Purple. Most people sort of our age, at least, kind of know of The Colour Purple because of the 1985 Steven Spielberg <sighs> adaptation. Ah, yes. Right, which starred Whoopi Goldberg as the character of Seeley, and Whoopi Goldberg does actually cameo in the very beginning of this adaptation. Obviously, all of them, they are all based on the 1963 novel by, I think it's Alex Walker. Um, It's been adapted for the screen here by Marcus Gardley and Marsha Norman, and directed by, I think, he's a music video director. And I have to, I want to make sure I get this name right, because it's so badass, I have to do it justice. Blitz Badavale. Wah! What a name! Badavale, Badavale. What a name! But just having the first name Blitz. Do you imagine? Yes, a strong name. Imagine being mates with a guy named Blitz. You know? You think he was a gladiator. Yeah, yeah. Unless you are, you know, a snar on gladiators. Just being named Blitz. Oh, man. I'm going to call up the guys. I'm going to go down the pub. I'll get Steve. I'll get Blitz. You know, it's just... 
Wow. <laughs> anyway, Brilliant. I'm getting off topic. So, uh, all adapted from, say, that then, you know, with the men adapted as the stage musical, which starred two of the stars of this movie, Fantasia and Danielle Brooks from Orange is the New Black. Fantasia is sort of a pop star in her own right, made her name on American Idol. Not a show I really follow the winners of, to be honest. I know I think Mandy Moore was on it somewhere. How's about it? Oh, Mandy Moore? Not Mandy Moore, the other one. Uh, uh, Kelly Clarkson. Why do That's I get right. those two confused? Don't know. Don't know why I get those two confused. Anyway, um, so the story in every iteration is it essentially follows Seely. She grows up in Georgia in initially 1909 in a story that we will take time jumps through going across about 40 to 50 years, give or take. She is she has a, a sister that she's very close to uh, named Nettie. They live in their father's house, like I say, in rural Georgia. They have an abusive father who has, you know, uh, say abused Seely, has impregnated her and then taken away the babies twice at this point. She's basically just a teenager and she is four forced off into a marriage with Mr. Played by Coleman Domingo, uh, who then in turn is abusive entirely in his own different way and puts her through hell. And it is about the lives of these disparate these disparate women who start to come together, this family that starts to form out of all of the abused women of this story, how they come together and go through the decades that follow, how they discover empowerment and enlightenment and effectively standing up and making a name for themselves in the face of these oppressors, particularly in that time and that place and in order to really sell you on the vibe this is going for because remember this is a musical have a listen to the 2023 slash 24 version of the color purple don't keep me waiting you keep your head held high just like mom taught us whatever i say go you got to stay up hell no there's going to be some changes made. This ain't me. Hush. We need to look like we belong. It's time to see the world. Hell no. Hell no. Oh, Miss Celia. You look good. I love it. That sounds yeah. absolutely incredible. Yeah, sounds good, doesn't it? Right, it actually is pretty good. Now, as I say, I'm shocked this wasn't actually a bigger deal because, I mean, it feels like pure Oscar bait. I mean, it's, it's a good, very enjoyable movie, but, you know, regardless of that, it does feel like Oscar bait. Um, it's produced by Oprah, Spielberg, and Quincy Jones. So they are wow. not messing around. They're not messing around on it. Um, it's a little overstuffed, a little indulgent at times. I think it runs at 2.21, 2 hours, 21 minutes, which puts it about 15 minutes shorter, funnily enough, than the Spielberg version. I mean, in light of that, you could lose two or three of the musical numbers, maybe cut down for pace and get to an even two hours. I think it'd be a little bit better. But, you know, I mean, I enjoyed it, as I say. Um, what really kills here is, is that sort of Venn diagram overlap between the direction, the tone of it, and the performances that all the cast members are getting and it's it, it really is that's that perfect marriage of everything at the right moment everything in moderation all exactly when it needs to be um i i, I think it's a really impactful musical it knows to be as, at one point a, a grand but gritty and then at the same time bleak but animated it runs in these nice little these nice little contrasts and juxtapositions there's a lot of stage magic going on for it and as a result you've got a cast who are all kind of very in the musical theater realm anyways say two of them have been in the stage version of this anyway which i think is fantasia and daniel brooke you then got taraji p henson 
who just gets one of the best intros ever befitting any one of her very glam queen-like stature as Shug. She just comes in like a barnstorm. It's a full musical number intro, just great. Like the, the, the African-American Ms. Willy Wonka of, you know, 1930s-slash-40s Georgia. And then you've got Coleman Domingo just absolutely having a ball as this incredibly nasty piece of work, you know, Mr. Um, oh, sidebar, by the way, whoever thought to put uh, Coleman Domingo and Louis Gossett Jr., Lou Gossett Jr., as father and son in a movie, that is God-level casting, and you have my undying love. That is brilliant. That is, like, I'm sorry, that is up there with Lee Majors being Bruce uh, Bruce Campbell's dad in Evil Dead. That is just mm, chef's kiss. Nobody, no, but nobody let this man pay for, this man or woman pay for a drink. Whoever did that casting, that is tremendous. Um, as I say, you know, you said it sounds good, right? It sounds like an enticing thing, right? Sounds absolutely incredible. And actually, while we've been chatting, I've got the trailer running on my screen on a loop, and yeah. I've just been kind of catching little bits. The cinematography in it looks incredible. Yeah, now that's the thing as well, because that is Guillermo del Toro's boy. That's his go-to cinematographer, Dan uh, Lausson, I think his name is, who did like The Shape of Water and things like that. And you wouldn't expect to see him here, but, you know, he's, say, great visuals, which work in tandem with really great lavish production design, as well as you can see Mm. the setting of it really looks the part. Um, Some really incredible intricate costumes as well that that do feel like there's been there's been real thought and and, and care put into them um, and the cars I, I, oh the cars are amazing in it but i, mm. I just thought this was a really great fantastic looking movie um just as i mean i say the impressive costume would not to be overlooked uh, a rousing musical not i don't think a box office rousing uh, you know a rousing box office sort of pleaser this is not i think going to go the way of something like the greatest showman but, oh, God, it'll get you. Like, you will get into it. Like, I was, I was sobbing by the end. I will freely admit there were tears at the end. I was sobbing. I was, I was going into this apprehensive. I, I was leaving this screener to last this week. I didn't, as it turned out. But I, I really went with it, and I was I was sobbing by the end of it. I, I, I had a great time with it. Like I say, it's not going to be everyone's particular cup of tea. It's been overlong, but uh, there's, there's things to love about it. And, you know, that song you heard in the trailer, Hell No. By Daniel yeah. Brooks. That, hell, hell, hell. No. Oh, wow. What a banger. Like, that's, oh, that's a tune. Like, that's the takeaway. That's the takeaway from this movie. That is what you see Colour Purple for. Absolutely. Um, I, I would like to see this, actually, based on just that, but also seeing the bits of the trailer and the cars, and like you say. And mm. I actually, watching the trailer on mute at the same time, I, it does feel like it's got the same, it is the same calibre as The Greatest Showman. It feels it's got the same mm. visual calibre as that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, obviously, apart the setting, which obviously couldn't be, you know, further apart, although it is set around the same time period, I think The Great Showman is, it's like the 1910s, and this kind of starts there, but obviously in a very, very different part of the country. I think The Great Showman is mostly, is it mostly New York, guys? I think The Great Showman? Yeah, yeah. New York or London? I think it's New York. Um, I haven't seen The Great Showman in a little while, uh, which is odd, given my sort of obsession with that, and obviously being The Greatest Showman as, as my sort of, like, <laughs> my cosplay of choice. But, uh, yeah, I think this is one put this on i think you'd really enjoy this it's a 12a as well so it's 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 not family friendly but you can have it on with the kids around a lot of the violence and the darker elements of it are more implied than outright shown for instance the abuse things like that are sort of off camera kind of things so bear that in mind that that is there but it's not depicted it's not actually outright shown 
Well, there you go. You can have a family cinema trip to go and see it. If you'd like, it's out in cinemas from today, The Colour Purple. Right. We are going to move on to our next movie in a moment, and we are going to look at The Underdog. So we'll see what Van thought of that. It's got Snoop Dogg in. We'll Uh, see in a minute. Hello and welcome back to the show. We've got two more movies to cover this time round. We are going to talk about Baghead in a minute, which I, as a quick sort of uh, speedy read, read it as Boghead. Thankfully, it's not. Um, But we're going to look at The Underdogs right now. And this caught my eye because I I do like a bit of Snoop Dogg. um, So I'm hoping that he does this justice. Well, I'm going to tell you this for starters, by the way. Baghead, whenever I typed it uh, this past couple of days, has been corrected to Baghdad every time. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, t- typical, right? There's always there's always something. So um, this is a new movie uh, directed by I think it's Charles Stone III, who has really directed effectively sort of directed DVD level. I mean, yeah, directed DVD level kind of comedies. Uh, this time, obviously, doing one starring Snoop Dogg. This is going to prime as of today, and uh, stars Snoop as uh, I think his name is uh, Jalen Jennings. I think his name is Double uh, Two J's. Two J's, I think his name is, Jalen Jennings, who is a washed-up NFL player. He was a you know teen prodigy in high school, NFL player, has then gone to the big leagues, had a famous moment in sports history, and then has just become a bit of a, a wayward you know rebel with substance abuse problems. Clearly liked a bit of a smoke too much because, of course, he did. He's played by Snoop, and his career has gone off the uh, off the rails. He then, you know, in the sort of, you know, faded celebrity era of his life, he's trying to get his life out together, trying to mount a comeback. His podcast isn't really taking off. And Jesus, if Snoop can't wait to make it work, there's no hope for the rest of us. Um, and uh, he gets into a car accident that sees him uh, charged with criminal negligence and sentenced to community service. And before you can say Mighty Ducks, he finds himself serving as the coach of a sort of peewee football team, I think they're called. So like a kind of a 10-year-old boys NFL team. He becomes their washed-up celebrity coach, only to also discover that one of the mums is sort of his faded, forgotten girlfriend from back back when he was in high school, played here by Tika Sumter. That's right, they are implying that Tika Sumter and Snoop Dogg are the same age. But, uh, yeah, let let that tell you about the reality of this clip. You pled guilty to charges of speeding and damage to city property. I'm recommending community service with the Long Beach Recreations Department. I thought I was getting like some Martha Stewart kind of treatment. You too good for the community that raised you. From the depths of the sea, back to the black I am football legend Jason 2J's Jennings, your new head coach. Legend. Let me get a picture with y'all real quick for Twitter. Some of y'all gonna get some girlfriends with this right here. I just really love anything that he's in because I find that he doesn't take himself too seriously. No, and believe me, that that's very much a key component of this film. So, first of all, it is straight up Mighty Ducks. There's no dancing around this. It is straight up Mighty Ducks. Even down, you know, it's the same thing. You know, he sentenced it. It was drink driving in Mighty Ducks and Emilio got sent to the, the hockey team. Here, it's Snoop Dogg. I think it's criminal negligence. He's sent to pick up dog poop uh, in the park and then notices the team and realises he can stage a comeback. Um, not a criticism to compare it to Mighty Ducks. Believe me, I'm saying that as a compliment. Mighty Ducks, you know... I'm, I'm quack quack, you know, hashtag quack quack from me every time I am Mighty Ducks for life. So putting aside the weird Snoop Dogg age thing, or how ridiculous it is to even vaguely begin to buy Snoop as a former NFL player, which is 
nonsense, right? It's not just me that looks and thinks to it, what? what? Like, that's terrible. <laughs> terrible casting. Um, Snoop himself, like you say about knowing to, to send up his own image, he, he knows how to have fun with himself. Here, he has le- learned to discipline the flow of his, of his energy and his timing, his community timing, when to go big and when to dial it down in a way that he hasn't quite mastered before. This shows actual progression in his comedic delivery. Snoop has always been a, a likable, funny guy. But you are actually starting to buy him as a low-key comedic performer here, which I don't think we ever really did before, outside of maybe his performance as as, uh, as Huggy Bear in 2004's Starsky and Hutch. 20 years old this year, uh, Starsky and Hutch. Um, wow. I, I know, right? So how much you like this is really going to be contingent on how much you like Snoop. Because it is that kind of you know macaroni box, you know back of back of the pasta packet, you know instant direction, instant mix directions kind of underdog sports movie. You know what I mean? Like you, it's very formulaic, but you are watching Snoop's version of it in the same way that you watch a new version of a Christmas Carol every year or two. You know what I mean? Like you know what you're getting. You're just getting someone else's interpretation of that, someone else's version of that. And like I say, Snoop, I think is quite a likable entertaining guy. You've got a three-star movie here that he alone seems to make about a four-star to me. It's like a four-star experience out of a by-the-numbers three-star film. This is not going to blow anyone's mind. A lot of the comedy is derived from that bad Santa level of, you know, it's funny to curse in front of children because sometimes it really is, uh, especially when it's Snoop, you know, doing it. <laughs> um, I'd imagine he gets a fair amount of the punchlines in this, though, doesn't he? Uh, he 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 really he really does. Um, there is a half-hearted attempt to mine a sort of a class element uh, to this, like a class war thing, where like the, the rival team are like a a rich upper middle class white American team, and the, the, they themselves are deemed to be sort of like a, a low in generally African-American uh, team, which is where Snoop comes from as well. But the, the message kind of falls apart because you've got Snoop in all his bling all the time. Like He's wearing the ridiculous outfits. Like, someone like someone points out to him at one point, like, why is, why have you got so many Fs on your tracks? He's like, oh, it's to reflect my report card from when I was here. Because he's visiting a high school at the time. Um, by the way, um, th- there's a great line in this that had me absolutely howling, in which Mike, uh, Mike Epps, the comedian Mike Epps, plays the assistant coach. At one point, inadvertently, comes cl- implies that he's about pull a gun on a bunch of 10-year-old kids. It doesn't actually, but it made me howl with laughter. But the one that really got me is his line to one of the kids, um, stop moving like you've got an album in. And I... <laughs> that's brilliant. I love that. Yeah, that's a great line. Right? That is a really, really good line. Uh, there is some good humour of this. Like I say, think something like Mighty Ducks meets Role Models. I think the Role Models with uh, Sean William Scott and uh, Paul Rudd as well. Something, something like in there. Um, tonally, it kind of sits halfway between Soul Plane, which again, now nearly 20 years old, Soul Plane and the 2005 um, version of The Longest Yard with Adam Sandler that you always see on like, great movies. Imagine something sat between there. It very much belongs in the frat pack era of things like old school and, funnily enough, Starsky and Hutch. You know, the, the Todd Phillips directed, Owen Wilson, Vince Vaughn kind of... We just say Snoop Dogg was a loose part of that pack. This feels like it belongs in that sort of pantheon. A nice throwback, if you will. I, I say, I wasn't blown away by it, but I did have a really good chuckle with it at times. Like I say, formulaic. Snoop's having a ball. You know, it's got a great soundtrack, obviously. Of course it does. Um, I was about to mention that. I was about to say, are there many Snoop Dogg songs in the soundtrack? I mean, it's got to oh, be, right? Or has that been ridiculous? 
But here's where this gets really interesting, and you don't learn this until the end of the film. Because I didn't do research this. It came through at the 11th hour. This came through, like, last thing last night before we were recording this. So I watched this at 7 in the morning. <laughs> wow. So um, I did learn at the end of this, right, they do tell you that this is actually inspired by Snoop's own football camps for for underprivileged youths which he has actually run since 2005 now i actually wrote down somewhere the uh, the the stats i've not put it on my advanced notes which is uh, annoying but if memory serves i believe there have been 80,000 students join his program since 2005 since he set it up wow of those 80,000 20,000 have gone on to earn college scholarships and college degrees because of the program by having gotten into football and and used it to actually further their education down the line. And of those 20,000, still a further 25 are currently in the NFL. And there is actual footage of Snoop and his like involvement with all these kids, like showing up to games for different teams that just happen to star like players who came from these programs plastered all over the end credits for this so you can't really hate even though it's by the numbers you can't hate on it too much because it has that oh this is actually coming from a good place kind of an element going for it as well and it really balances it out i thought i thought this was actually quite sweet particularly it's it's not going to get me sobbing like color purple did but snoop's having a blast and there is a, a team intro money shot sequence in which he walks in carrying two dogs because there's two G's in the team named the Underdogs. Two G's. Yeah, like the title has Underdogs, it's two G's. There's two G's because he's two J's, so they get two dogs because there's two G's and he's two J's. And he walks in slow-mo with his two dogs, and you're thinking, this is like a Rock and, ho- rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction video clip. Like, that's one, one of the clips they're going to play <laughs> over the induction music when, when he's in the... I don't know. I haven't checked. I don't know if Snoop actually is in the Hall of Fame. But if not, this is a clip they'll use. Or, like, for the roast of. You know, like, one of those, like, great all-time, like, story. This is your life kind of clips. That, that frame is winding up in there. Um, also, respect that they managed to put in a Martha Stewart nod. In a movie featuring Snoop Dogg, they actually have Snoop ask. As you heard in that clip, I thought I was going to get the celebrity treatment. He says, I thought I was going to get that Martha Stewart thing. And that's because they're doing that lighter campaign together, where they're selling lighters together, and it's plastered all over American supermarkets, like Target and Walmart and stuff. I love that. Like Chef's Kiss, I love that they have that connection. Uh, good fun. Good fun. So I am a Snoop fan, so it worked on me. Three-star movie, four-star time for me. I thought it was very fun. That does sound good. And if you want to watch it, you don't have to leave the house because the underdogs... <laughs> Double G is on Prime <laughs> from today. All right, one last movie to talk about, one last ride. We're going to look at Bagheads in just a minute, so stay there. We'll be back. Hello and welcome back then for one last ride. We are going to look at Baghead, which is out in cinemas from today. I will put my hands up to you, Van, and say I have no idea who any of the cast members are. Uh, I mean, one or two of them actually are are are, are you know known known enough commodities. Um, so this is a new movie from uh, Alberto Corredor, um, based on I believe the short of the same name from 2017. Um, stars Freya Allen, um, who I didn't really know either, and she is a young woman who returns to uh, 
I think yeah, I want to say Scotland uh, returns. Scotland, I, I actually can't tell. It's kind of non-specific. Uh, Scotland returns to the homestead when her estranged father passes away. Uh, she is the only next of kin, and she inherits his pub. A grand, old, vintage pub covered in, in cobwebs and mothballs. And uh, no sooner has she uh, she arrived uh, than uh, uh, yeah, then she is she's asked, "Do you want to do you want to sell the play?" She decides to keep it on to make a few qu- a quick few quid. When one night Jeremy Irvin turns up, knocks at her door, and uh, makes a strange request. I will tell you the rest after he explains it in this clip. Are you the new owner? Oh, my name's Neil. Yeah. What do you want? I want to see her. I'm sorry. I, I know I, I should have waited. I should have given you more time. Please, you don't understand. I, I, don't know. I, don't I need to see her. I don't know what you're talking about. It's 2000. Right. What, 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 what exactly is this for? The woman in the basement. To me, I'm getting almost sore twists coming out of this. That's how it feels to me. Mm. It's nowhere near as fun as a Saw movie. I mean, it starts out initially oh. as a sort of... Uh, one, it starts out as one of those good old-fashioned ah, you inherited a haunted house kind of movies, but it does give way to this sort of relatively stripped down, quite pacey, Faustian chiller, like a Faustian bargain kind of a thing going on. See, what Jeremy Urban's character wants is to, uh, is to communicate with his deceased wife. And the woman in the basement refers to a sort of entity who lives down there, uh, who is the sole responsibility of whoever has inherited this pub. She contains the ability, however, to commu- basically channel the dead for exactly two minutes. Um, however, if you push it past the two-minute mark, she starts to gain more power. And it is about the temptation that comes with being able to communicate with your lost ones, with your loved ones, your, you know, those who have, who have passed on. I say Irvin has his, his, his wife. Uh, in the case of Freya Allen, obviously she has her, her recently passed father, who you know, was the original owner of the pub. And, uh, and in that role, you've got my MVP of this. You've got Peter Mullen. I love me some Peter Mullen. He's always great value for money. He's Peter Mullen. And he knocks it out of the park. Every scene he's in in this movie is the best moment you've enjoyed of that movie to that point. Like, the rest of it is, it's well enough made, it's like I say, it's quite a tight, stripped-down, raw, tension-fueled exercise in just, you know, atmospheric chills. There's a couple of decent jump scares in there as well, I have to say. Um, And although there's, I mean, I know obviously it won't have been shot in chronological order because nine times out of ten these, these things kind of aren't. But Freya Allen and, uh, less so Freya Allen, but Ruby Barker in particular, who plays Freya Allen's bestie, early on, like the early scenes in this, you get a very, like, early Doctor Who kind of feeling to the acting. It's quite, she's quite creaky. I mean, she gets a little bit better in the later scenes, but early on, she is quite creaky in the performance stakes. It's very, very kind of woodenly delivered. And Freya Allen's a bit, bit of a cut above, but initially, early on, she is being quite dragged down in those scenes that pair them. Um, I, I thought a lot of. Do you remember that film Cobweb we talked about maybe four or five months ago? Yes. Kaplan and, yeah, there's. I thought of that quite a bit with it in terms in terms of how it used used the house, used the the threat as it were, and the way that threat is realised. I did find myself thinking a bit of of Cobweb. 
I think Cobweb was a, a more all-round entertaining movie than this. I, I think this is it's quite decently made for the scale of production it is, but I don't think it holds a caliber to something. Holds a candle to something of the in superior caliber of Cobweb, definitely. But as I say, you know, very atmospheric, wonderful use of the sort of production design for this like, derelict pub. And I mean, I will say as well. I gave Jeremy Irvin a lot of stick a lot of years ago for um, being quite drippy in the movie Warhorse in 2011, and uh, he and, and he got better. Like by the time he got to Woman in Black Two, which again co- companion piece to this in a way has that kind of same kind of feel. By the time he got to that, he was a little bit better. But here he's uh, he's reached his leading man uh, stage. You know, it works now. He's he's a lot more powerful as a leading man. I think. I've got to say that Baghead himself looks. Quite harrowing, actually, from from the images. Oh, herself, sorry. Herself. She looks quite harrowing. She is. She is. <laughs> well, it's yeah. I mean, you can't really tell from the from the screenshot that I've seen, but yeah, it just looks very harrowing. To be quite honest with you, yeah, I say not entirely dissimilar to the one in, in Cobweb, in a, the, the, the the ghoulie in in, in Cobweb. Uh, but I say it's quite a nicely paced movie as well. It runs to an hour thirty four, so it's a nice tight ninety four minutes, which is kind of the sweet spot nice. in any movie. Uh, really, so yeah, I mean that's out. Uh, that's out in cinemas from today as well. I do think that's that's worth a look. I think if you're looking for a, 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 a good, solid, you know, pulse pounding, a good rock solid chiller, take take a look at uh, Baghead. That's a decent one. I think it's always good to have a few jumpy bits in as well, isn't it? Because although you start a movie thinking, oh, I don't really want too much jumpy stuff in this, actually, when you do, it makes you enjoy the movie just that little bit more, especially if you're in the cinema. So uh, Baghead, not Boghead, in cinemas, or or Baghdad, um, in cinemas from today. today. Um, Right, let's talk about next week quickly then, uh, some of the movies we've got coming up. So next week we've got Curzon's new one, Dalton's Dream, uh, alongside the new one from Illumination. So the House of Minions are back, and they're bringing us the uh, the the, fam- the animated family movie. I think it's I, I'm not sure, it's about birds. I'm not sure if it's about ducks. Well, I'm not sure what kind of birds they are, but it's an animated movie with the voice of Kumail Nanjiani. My boy Kumail's back, um, and it's called Migration. And that is out next week. I'm looking forward to hearing what you and Albert uh, think of that. That strikes me as one you could absolutely watch together because it's very much aimed at the sort of minions yeah. uh, demographic. Um, we've also got Argyle next week, the new movie by Matthew Vaughan, who gave us Kingsman and Kierkass, and which I know, I believe you uh, you might have had a slight dalliance with this, Mr. Ball. Have you had a dalliance with Argyle? Oh, I have indeed. I had a cup of tea with Sam Rockwell uh, earlier in the week, which was a nice little chat because he plays Aiden in this. So he did tell me uh, quite a bit about the movie. Oh, I see. Oh, it's just a nice hobnobbing with the stars. Oh, yeah, I see. Like, that is an... oh, okay, fair. Um, so I'll, let you know, I'll let you know what I think about it if I get to see it. Alongside... Although I will add, he forgot the release date. When I asked him when it was coming out, he forgot the release date, which I did find quite funny. But I suppose it's different for different countries, isn't it? Well, I mean, to be fair as well, it has been pushed back because of the strike as well. So, I mean, you know, there's every chance that he's probably just getting confused at this point because we've had so many release date shifts in the last couple of years that it's, it starts to become a numbers game. Uh, we have also got, speaking of numbers game, next week, the um, much acclaimed at uh, the Oscar nominations this past week, uh, Zone of Interest from Jonathan Glazer. This is the UK entry for Best International Feature. I think it has five uh, award nominations um, as well going on. Uh, but Best International Feature, I believe it's up for, might be up for Best Picture as well. And this is about the Holocaust. This is a Holocaust drama. It's been made by Jonathan Glazer, who I think gave us Under the Skin 
uh, with ScarJo back in 2014. And last but certainly by no means least, with, I believe, t- I might be getting this wrong, it's either seven or eight awards nominations, um, the Jeffrey Wright-led movie, and I've been looking forward to this, American Fiction. Uh, which is upon us uh, finally this next week. I've been really looking forward to American Fiction. I love Jeffrey Wright. He's always a great performer. Uh, can't wait to see. I, I mean, this is apparently this is you know his time to shine this award season. Uh, I've not seen this. I think this is the last Oscar movie I've really got to watch this year. I, I, Zone of Interest and and uh, American Fiction. Those are my last two to watch for this this Academy uh, Awards season. Plus the animated movie Nimona. But I will get to see them and review them with you this next week. I cannot wait. Chop, chop. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Well, uh, there's loads to talk about next week then. Uh, So that is all we've got time for. We shall return next week. Until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor. And we shall return. 